Hi, I'm Sharon Rinfro of SharonRinfro.com and Our Hearts and Minds, an online life coaching service specializing in relationship issues. I hope you will take a few minutes to explore SharonRinfro.com to acquaint yourself with our services and products. Welcome to today's podcast, the fourth in a series of free podcasts on Our Hearts and Minds, The Psychology of Relationships. This podcast explores an alternative understanding of who we are and what we do in our intimate relationships. As you listen, you will discover accurate knowledge, simple tools, adaptive strategies, and effective skills to allow you to balance the needs we all have to be an individual self and the need for a relationship. This will help you with to do this balancing without engaging in the emotionally immature behaviors of conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. All behaviors common in our relationships that ruin relationships. The topic of today's podcast is the emotional state of mind, distance. Each podcast in this series builds on the knowledge presented in the previous podcast. In order to benefit fully from this series, I recommend listening to the podcast in order. Now, you're going to hear lots of new ideas. I encourage you to listen to each podcast again and again. Take notes and speculate about how these ideas apply to your life. And remember that practice with new ideas leads to mastery and sustainable long-term change to get the life that you want. Now the ideas in this podcast come from my book, Our Hearts and Minds, The Psychology of Relationships. Each podcast is a shortened version of a book chapter. The book offers many clinical examples, people just like you, who want to excel in their life while reaping the benefits of being in a meaningful, connected relationship. The book expands explanations and deeply explores very new ideas. You will find space in the book for your notes and your journal to help you to use these ideas to achieve your life and relationship goals. Each chapter ends with homework to encourage mastery that leads to sustainable life change. If these podcasts are helpful to you and you would like to be in a relationship in which each person contributes meaningfully to each other while excelling in his or her own life, you can purchase your copy of Our Hearts and Minds, The Psychology of Relationships Today from SharonRenfro.com. This book is available only through my website, SharonRenfro.com. I think you will find these free podcasts really exciting as you discover new ideas about who we are and what we do along with new solutions to enhance individual emotional maturity and promote long-term sustainable relationships. Don't worry about remembering everything or even initially understanding what you hear. The ideas are going to be repeated over and over again and you can always push the replay on the podcast and listen again. So let's get started on this exciting journey. Now in podcast one, we explored the psychological component of self. 
and the function of this component to help to keep us safe in our relationships with others. The self is a system of interrelated components that, as those components interact, translates into behavior. The self is an internal process that becomes externalized through behavior. We know that the psychological component of self is the state of mind of the individual at any given moment in time whose purpose is to keep us safe as we relate to others. These states of mind produce assessments of our experience based on the level of awareness possible by each state of mind. The level of awareness of self of the individual depends on the state of mind through which we perceive and interpret our experiences. Whether or not the adaptive strategies conferred to us by evolution through these three states of mind are actually adaptive for the situation depends on this level of awareness. Now when we fail to use the most appropriate state of mind for the level of awareness needed to respond adaptively to the situation, the adaptive strategy engaged will most likely be maladaptive for the situation. Three states of mind exist, the emotional state of mind, the subjective state of mind, and the objective state of mind. Each state of mind offers specific behaviors with which we respond to our experiences. We know that the emotional state of mind is the very first level of assessment of all of our experiences. This state of mind provides an instinctual automatic assessment based on seriously reduced input of information meant to be used in physically dangerous situations. The emotional state of mind must reduce information from our experiences because this state of mind functions to produce accurate assessments of very simple environments or experiences in which a physical danger is likely. This emotional process reduces information to keep the environment or experience simple at a great cost to accurate perceptions and interpretations of experiences that are more complex. This extreme filtering of perceptual information from the environment produces a high rate of error in any experience except very simple ones in which physical danger is likely. As these types of simple environmental conditions are rare for a large part of the world's population, that means most of us, when we use the assessment of the emotional state of mind, will use an adaptive strategy from this assessment applied to a complex situation which renders that adaptive strategy maladaptive. The emotional state of mind operates from the brain that is ancient and provided highly accurate assessments when our experiences were simple in ancient times. In a dangerous environment or experience, it's far better to overreact to protect ourselves when a threat does not actually exist than to not respond to a real threat and be dead. Our species is still here on planet Earth. Some evidence that the emotional state of mind has served us well, at least at some earlier point in time. Eventually our relationships became more and more complex and these complexities favored more accurate assessments that included more information 
being considered in the assessment. The brain ch changed in additions. No new brain specific to the human being suddenly appeared. The old brain simply evolved with new additions, which meant well, they were meant to correct the ancient assessment of the emotional brain. The emotional state of mind assesses everything we experience, but it reduces the information considered to a bare-bones set of perceptions, and thus produces a bare-bones interpretation of our experiences. As the brain evolved, these additions were meant to assist us to perform a reassessment of the emotional state of mind to improve the accuracy of our assessments through increased levels of awareness of the additional states of mind. Form and function is a hallmark of evolution, designed that responds to provide necessary adaptive strategies to survive in more complex worlds. The first addition to the brain provided the function of feelings. Feelings generated by the subjective state of mind were meant to help us to refine the emotional assessment in order to address much more complex relationships. Feelings help us to distinguish between friend and foe and thus enhance our long-term survival. Feelings were meant to help us to form bonds with others, particularly offspring who required longer periods of maturation to reach the point of independent functioning. Relationships with a group improved survival. We had to find a way to distinguish as quickly as possible between friend or foe, as well as be able to form and sustain relationships with offspring for long periods of time. We had to know when it was important to set aside self-interest in deference to the well-being of another human being. In other words, relationships became increasingly more important to individual survival. For a while, this function did just that. It was all that was needed given the uh, level of complexity of the environment we experienced. We assessed all experiences at an emotional level and most of the time reassessed using the subjective state of mind. But change did not stop there. Our environments and relationships became more and more complex. The world went from favoring simple assessments to more complex assessments. We needed a way to assess our experiences using as much data as we could possibly garner from the experience. The objective state of mind performs final, most complex assessments based on a great deal of information that provides the individual self the highest level of awareness. But no matter how complex the environment is, the emotional state of mind and the subjective state of mind must form their assessments first. If we are taught that these two automatic assessments are adequate to keep us safe, we do not engage the objective state of mind. As a result, our emotional maturation is stalled due to the limited awareness of self. Our relationships are seriously damaged across the board as our gut and our feelings rule the day. One way to think about the level of awareness of self and how it changes with we each addition of each state of mind is how drawings of self change as we age. Young children represent the self in rudimentary, in rudimentary 
and rudimentary representations. As we age and the two additional states of mind become available, awareness of self increases. So we see drawings ranging from stick figures to more and more complex representations. We move through stages of awareness and the change in the drawings of self demonstrate these changes. Detail increases over time as the ability to perceive and process perceptions alters our interpretations of self. When we observe the stick figures children draw, we see the simple perceptual world in which a person lives when using the emotional state of mind. Once a child ages to the point that the objective state of mind is accessible, the drawings of self increase in complexity, reflecting the higher levels of awareness that's been achieved. Interestingly, even though the potential of higher levels of awareness of self can be accessed, most of the time, when we relate to relationship partners, we do not access that level of awareness to help us to understand our relationships. We're too busy assessing for threat or safety, evidence of the strength of the entanglement of the parent-child relationship. It is literally amazing that we defer to the simplest possible assessment when we could access the most complex assessment. The heavy reliance on the emotional state of mind is striking. The emotional state of mind produces emotions. Only two emotions are possible, threat and safety. When we sense threat, we become anxious. When we sense safety, we are calm. When we are calm, we are free to further assess the environment and engage in multiple behaviors. When we are threatened, only four behaviors are possible to us. We have available to us four behaviors from which we must choose if the emotional state of mind assesses an experience as posing a threat to us. The four behaviors all found in other species in the natural world are conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. Stuck in the emotional state of mind to manage our lives Distance is one of the four strategies available to us when we sense threat. As we have discussed in previous podcasts, four behavioral reactions are available to us when we sense threat from the emotional assessment. Conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. Now, in the last podcast, we discussed conflict. Conflict is the attempt to intentionally impose one's will on another person. Next, we explore distance as one of our options available when we sense threat based on an emotional assessment of our relationship. Distance is the intentional separation of oneself from a relationship. I'll repeat that. Distance is the intentional separation of oneself from a relationship. Distance can be achieved through the physical removal of oneself or the refusal to connect meaningfully with another person. Distance creates a separation between self and another person through intentional avoidance. Distance manages the perceived loss of self to a relationship and returns the distancer to a state of calm. Distance rebalances the unique individual need to be a self and the need to be in a relationship. 
In the natural world, we can observe an animal running for its life from a predator and only a short time later when the threat has passed be calmly grazing. We can see the actual threat that elicits the flight response in animals and we can account for the transition back to a calm state. With distance in human relationships, the threat is invisible, unknown. The return to a calm state makes no logical sense to us. We were unaware of the perceived threat the relationship posed. We seek some way to explain what is observed. The person is reserved. The person is shy. The person has cold feet. The person needs time. The person needs a drink or two to relax. The person is so involved in work. All of these excuses place the problem in the context of the present situation and miss the emotionally driven behavior. In a vacuum of information, the human being transforms the unknown into the known through assumptions. Assumptions take the place of facts to explain what has happened. These assumptions or explanations calm the individual because that person now knows what the problem is. The truth is that the imagination is a poor substitute for reality. When we attempt to solve a problem that we only assume exists, life energy expended has a high probability of being wasted. And all the life energy exerted in being distant, since distance cannot solve the internal threat sensed by potential closeness, is wasted as well. Distance decreases the buildup of anxiety brought on by the threat of closeness to the relationship partner. The very basis of forming a relationship implies some degree of closeness, and people vary in the sense of safety in being close. When closeness results in a sense of threat to the self, self is poorly defined. The automatic sense of threat is that the person will lose something to be threatened in some way if closeness occurs. The person will not be able to have his or her needs met or the person perceives him or herself as inadequate to meet the needs of another person. That person dares not attempt to meet the needs of another person. Avoidance is one solution to the threat. For example, a man who provided mental health services let his phone messages accumulate. After the stack became about an inch high, he returned the calls. Oldest messages first. His explanation was that if he waited, most problems were resolved by the time he returned the call. He would not have to respond any further. The strategy reduced his workload. He gave no consideration to how his distance impacted his clients. Eventually, his clients stopped looking to him for help. At the core of this process was his uncertainty of his skills as a therapist. He was not trying to avoid work. He was trying to avoid his discomfort about not knowing what to do. He managed most of his relationships through the intentional removal of himself from the expectations of others. Distance diminishes the uncertainty of closeness. We can predict what will happen. Nothing. If one perceives closeness as threatening, distance removes the threat. Distance isolates us from others, and it also isolates others from us. 
Each person in the relationship must deal with the limits of closeness that can be attained in the relationship. However, distance has the effect of an increased anxious focus on the distancer as the other speculates, digs for information, asks continuous questions, assumes the answers, etc. In other words, the very closeness the distancer tries to avoid becomes the constant focus of the relationship problem. Partner, excuse me. Ironically, obsessions are bred in distance. When a person reacts to the threat of self to closeness, it doesn't mean that he or she doesn't desire closeness. Closeness simply can't be tolerated. Communication that is open, in which a person reveals who they are, can provide amazing support that leads to solid safety. The safety and calm possible from intimately knowing another person and letting them know who we are, to disclose important formative previous life's events, to relate what we sense about our world. All of this is lost with distance. Being hidden, being an unknown to relationship partners, builds walls between people and denies ourselves and the other person the comfort that comes with closeness. Closeness is not always comfortable, but for people who use distance, the risk of being close is intolerable. The person who uses distance experiences these attempts by a relationship partner for closeness as demands he or she cannot fulfill without somehow coming to harm from the threat, the threat that closeness poses. The balance between the need to be a self and the need for a relationship has become disturbed. The threat seems very real and distance has always reduced anxiety in the past. To override the urge for distance escalates the anxiety, which deepens the need for distance. The full mind-body response that instantly occurs leaves the person distancing without any processing of information about what the relationship partner actually seeks. Once a person uses distance to calm self, eventually the need for closeness recurs, resulting in behaviors that meaningfully connect him or her to the relationship partner, but only for so long. Then the need for distance takes over, and the person is just gone. Everything is determined by the need for distance. This creates a confusing scenario for the relationship partner as he or she is left in the dark about what happens in the distancer. At one point in time, closeness seems acceptable, only to be unacceptable one moment later. When a self is well-defined, closeness is comfortable. One knows where one stands, so one does not have to be threatened by the expectations of others or possible compromises or uncertainty. One has the ability to use sound judgment Assessments of situations are grounded in fact, with no need for major self-sacrifices to secure and maintain a relationship. One knows can rely on, one knows one can rely on, and depend on self. No over-dependence or over-reliance on another person is necessary. Closeness is accepted as a natural part of life that enriches our experiences. No avoidance is necessary. We do not have to be disappearing acts in our relationships, but 
to the people who use distance to manage threat. They do just that. To ensure he or she never gets too close to another person, massive amounts of life energy is directed toward carefully assessing the demands on self from the relationship. Ironically, the very threat from the relationship becomes the distancer's reality. Because to maintain the required level of distance to be calm means life focus has to be on the other person. The distancer sets his or her own trap and functions in life on a very short, self-imposed lead. The best success at flight is to cautiously determine how close one is to danger, to constantly use one's sensory perceptions to gauge the danger. The very thing the distant person dreads, losing self to focus on the other person, is exactly what he or she does to him or herself. The relationship partner cannot understand the complaints about the demands of the relationship because the demands of the relationship are actually locked inside the distancer. It's impossible to logically make the point that the relationship is not the problem to the person who uses distance. For that person, the relationship is always the problem. Distance can be misread as intellect. While some people who use distance are also good at using his or her intellect, people who use distance are ruled by emotions. Relationship decisions are not based on thought, but pure emotion. Once a long time ago, a woman reported to me that her boss functioned solely from his intellect. I knew him. <clears throat> I disagreed with her stating that he was one of the most emotionally driven people I had ever met. A person who guards his or her feelings, who has no empathy, who makes the hard decisions regardless of the adverse consequences to others, uses only a small portion of the process of thinking. Make no mistake, these characteri characteristics represent an extreme emotional reaction of distance. The distancer constantly scans all of his or her relationship experiences for the following. Any perceived incursion into his or her space. I need you to stay this far away from me. That marker changes, by the way. The experience of a need to compromise, to give up what is important for someone else. Potential hurt, abandonment, disapproval, disappointment, humiliation. Cues of the need to retreat from all ill intentions of others. <clears throat> Helplessness and hopelessness about having his or her needs met. The capacity of another person to inflict harm. The inward escape hatch when forced into physical proximity. The potential of making the wrong choice, saying the wrong thing, making the wrong commitment internal peace. The discovery of incompetence by someone else. The need for recovery from past hurts, time to heal. The black hole of a relationship, being unable to extricate oneself. Constant suspicions about what the other person really wants. The motivation for the relationship. The degree of authenticity 
of the other person. All of these issues are the constant companion of the person who uses distance. People can create families with individuals while maintaining separate lives through distance. The long-term repercussions are that each person has no chance of finding real happiness, support, or meaningful connection. Over time, greater levels of distance are required to reach the same degree of calm. Loneliness in a relationship can be a high price to pay, but the anxiety that intensifies when one considers being close by addressing issues makes loneliness a far better option. Because distance has worked for so many years to allay anxiety, people who use this emotional behavioral strategy probably would not describe themselves as distance, as distant, excuse me. The blame would be placed in the relationship and individual problems can't be resolved through the relationship. A multitude of reasons exist for the distance, all of which are reasonable to the distancer. The relationship partner is simply caught in an emotional process trying to balance out his or her own need to be an individual self and to be in a relationship. Distance keeps the distancer in a state of constant alert. Knowing when one should run is crucial. The relationship partner must remain on constant alert as well as seeking to find any clue he or she can discover to, to understand his or her partner. The life energy that could be spent on self-maturation or enjoying a reciprocal relationship simply is unavailable. It has been expended. What works so effectively for the turtle offers little of value to human beings in intimate relationships. Knowing what is going on for the turtle inside his or her shell demands the use of imagination. Relationships filled with imagined assumptions provide no comfort to either person. This completes the podcast on distance. I hope you've heard some really interesting ideas. Our next podcast is going to be on the behavior of pretend. I think you'll learn some things from that. So I hope you join us. Until next time.